Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the church for whom Jesus died. And we thank you that we can be part of your church. Those who have been forgiven by the blood of our Lord Jesus, those who have been reconciled to you, our God, our creator, and those who are reconciled to one another. And we are now brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit that is at work in our hearts and our minds to do what in and of ourselves we can't do. We ask that spirit to work in our hearts this morning as we hear your word, that you will strengthen us as your people and equip us for the good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. We ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take a seat. Well, good morning to you. Good to see you again. And this morning, we'll be looking at the book of Revelation. We're looking at the last letter that we have began a couple of weeks ago. So keep your Bible open, uh, for that's really important, on chapter 3 of Revelation, verse 14, and we'll work our way through all the way to the end at verse 22. I've been taught uh, the golden rule for an effective feedback is I should always begin with the positives, right? Praise the people for their good performance before tackling their performance gaps because people usually don't handle critics well. Yes, your appraisal may be objectively true, but generally people can't accept truths about themselves. Jesus didn't care about this rule. He broke it blatantly in his appraisal for his last church, the Laodicean church. He bluntly and he outrightly said to them right at the beginning, you make me sick. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Andrew Chia, in his recent sermon, used the employees' appraisal meeting to illustrate for us what Jesus has been doing to his churches in these chapters. So imagine for a little while now that it is our turn, smacks one turn, for the evaluation. Together we enter the hall and we saw Jesus. What will he say to us? Will he say, smack one, collectively and individually, you make me sick. I'm so sick, I'm about to spit you out, to vomit you out of my mouth. I'm nauseous because of you, for you are revolting. Do you think Jesus will say that to us? Well, to know that, we will have a look this morning at what kind of church is Laodicea and see if we are like them. But friends, if Jesus does say that to us, will we accept this truth about ourselves? That we are making Jesus sick? Will we humbly repent? The church in Laodicea was mentioned in Colossians. It was very likely established by the preaching of Epaphras, and it seemed to have started off pretty well as a church. But in John's day, it became very bad. Of all the seven churches that we have seen so far in Revelation, this is the worst church. It has received the most severe condemnation. 
Jesus said to them in verse 16, I will spit you out of my mouth. Basically, Jesus, who has been present among them, walking among them, who know their every word and thought and deed, found them and their lives revolting. The question is why? What could they have done that warranted such a reaction from Jesus? Well, the passage indicates to us two reasons. Firstly, it is because they are lukewarm. Take a look at verse 15. 15 says, I know your works. You are neither cold or hot. Would that you be either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. They were lukewarm. And Jesus was not pleased with that at all. How about us? How about you? How about me? Are we lukewarm? For if we are, Jesus is about to spit us out as well. But what does it mean to be lukewarm? There are two possibilities and they are not mutually exclusive. Firstly, lukewarm could mean that they are useless. Useless. This interpretation comes from an understanding of the Laodicean region in the first century. Heropolis, a neighboring city to Laodicea, had hot springs with medicinal effects. Another neighbor, Colosse, had cold, pure, drinkable water. Laodicea, however, had neither. No hot healing waters, nor cold, refreshing waters. Her waters was, in fact, drawn from hot springs so far away that by the time that it reached the city, it has become lukewarm and basically useless. So Jesus is saying here, Laodicean as a church was useless, just like her city's lukewarm water. Can you imagine Jesus saying to us, smack one, you are really a useless church. Useless. But in what ways was the Laodicean church useless? Well, they were useless as witnesses of the gospel. How do we see this in the passage? Well, in the past few letters, we have seen a close connection between the letter's introduction and the following rebuke and correction. Between Jesus' self-description at the beginning and the unique situation of the particular church. So in this letter, Jesus introduced himself in verse 14. Take a look. As the true and faithful witness. So we can rightly expect the church to be rebuilt in this area, their witness to the gospel as a church. But still the, remain, the question remains, what does it mean that they are useless as witnesses of the gospel? Well, basically, like the inhabitants of the city who were not receiving hot healing water or cold life refreshing water, the unbelievers in the city were receiving neither spiritual healing or life because this Laodicean church in the city was not fulfilling its role of witnessing to the gospel of Christ. The Laodicean church was a useless church, was useless as a church. 
it did not witness to the people around them. How about us? Are we a useless church? Useless as a witness to the gospel? Secondly, lukewarm could mean that they lack, they lack zeal as a Christian. That is, they start off as zealous followers of Jesus. They heard the gospel from Epaphras. They, co- they were convinced that Christ died for all and therefore all died. And Christ died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The Laodicean Christians were once convicted of their sins. They were once amazed by God's love and grace and mercy towards them in Christ. They were passionate about the cross. But somehow, along the way, over time, that zeal, that passion, was slowly extinguished. They were no longer spiritually hot. They were neither, but neither were they outrightly rejecting Christ either. That is cold. They were neither hot nor cold. They were lukewarm. To these Christians, Jesus therefore said in verse 15, You are neither hot nor cold. I would that, that is, I wish that you were either hot or cold. In other words, Jesus was saying, Outright denial is better than phony piety. To profess Christianity while remain untouched by its fire is a disaster. If they were just going through the motion, if they were half-hearted in the devotion to Christ, Jesus says they were spiritually worse than an unbeliever. We find similar warning in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Let me read that to you. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. How about us? Are we still zealous and passionate about the gospel? As we once were, Titus 2 verse 14 says, God gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is why Christ died. God did not give his one and only beloved son to make for himself a gathering of nominal Christians. He made for himself a people zealous for good works. God made zealots, zealots, not pure warmers. Which are we? Verse 17. He has more to say on why Jesus found the Laodicean church distasteful. It sheds more light on how lukewarm Christianity looks like. Take a look with me at verse 16 onwards. I will speak you out of my mouth. Why? Because you say, 
I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The Laodicean Christians are basically self-deluded. We evaluate evaluate ourselves all the time, isn't it? But self-evaluation is a very dangerous business. The Laodicean evaluated themselves. But, they, but what they thought of themselves was far way off than what they actually were in reality. In the Roman times, Laodicea was the wealthiest city in the region. It was a self-reliant city. So self-sufficient that after an earthquake hit them in AD 60, the city fully recovered itself without a single cent from central government. All by the strength of its own resources, they needed no one's help at all. And this self-confidence in the material realm seems to have sipped in and carried into the spiritual realm. As a result, they saw themselves to be in good spiritual condition, in no need of any help or sustenance, not from anyone, not even from God. They might even have believed that their economic prosperity is an indication of their healthy spiritual state. But they couldn't be more wrong. Jesus said to them, No matter what you think of yourself, no matter how rich you think you are, in my eyes, in reality, in fact, you are spiritually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Sorry to burst your bubble, Laodiceans, but this is the truth about yourself. Friends, what matters most is not what we think of ourselves, but what Jesus thinks of us. Do we care of what Jesus thinks of us, or are we living comfortably in our own self-delusion? Moving on to Laodiceans. Very likely, the Laodicean Christians are selling out their faith. The language that's been used here indicates them being opposite to the Smyrnans, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago. The Smyrnans refused to conform to the pressure of idolatry, and they suffered the consequence. The Laodiceans, on the other hand, willingly and readily, though perhaps not sincerely, participated in idolatry. They embraced ungodly worldly values, all for the sake of ensuring their economic well-being and security. Remember that we saw earlier Jesus was charging the Laodiceans for being useless? They failed as witnesses of the gospel? But the question remained back then is, in what ways have they failed as witnesses? Did the church fail to run enough evangelistic guest nights per year? Did they not know two ways to live? Or did they not have regular exploring Christianity classes? How have they failed as witnesses? Well, it was their compromise. The compromise that made their witness to Christ ineffective, impotent in its effect. The descriptions in verse 17 implies that they were on the verge verge of being considered an unbelieving community. That is, their lives are no longer any different at all 
compared to the rest of the pagan world. Friends, Christ did not die for them to live complacently, safely, and comfortably, nicely blended into the world, following its course, following the prince of the power of the air. Christ died to rescue them out of the world, from living in darkness like the rest of the world, to living in the light with Jesus as their king and their saviour. The Laodicean church is meant to bear witness to the darkness in the world. It's supposed to bear witness to the world of the hope of a new creation that Jesus has ushered in, which they themselves are part of by faith. But their lives were not showing that at all. They were just like the unbelievers. How about us? Are we a useless church? that through the small compromises that we make, we live for and worship what the rest of the world worships, bearing no witness to the new hope, the new life, and the new creation that our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, has ushered in already? Christ said to the Laodicean church, if they will not own up to and stand up for their identity in Christ, he will not acknowledge them at judgment either. He will spit them out. In fact, he's about to spit them out, he says. And that's a pretty bad situation for any church to be in, don't you think? However, at this point in time, Jesus says there is still hope for them. The church can still be restored. There is still a chance for revival. In verse 18, Jesus offers this remedy. Let's take a look. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that your church, you may be rich, and garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and and self to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Restoration begins with recognizing and admitting their spiritual plight, that they are what Jesus has exposed them to be. They are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Restoration begins with acknowledging that they are, after all, not self-sufficient as they thought, that they are in need of something, that they can obtain only from Jesus. Jesus emphasized in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me, from me. But here is something interesting. Take note. Jesus knew that they were poor, doesn't he? And yet he counseled them to buy from him. What did he expect them to pay him in? On credit terms? No. The spiritual wealth, the gold, the white robes of righteousness, the self, the remove, the spiritual blindness, all of that can be purchased at no cost at all, except the acknowledgement of their shameful condition. Isaiah 51 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, Buy 
and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without a price. And John 9, 39, Jesus says, For judgment I come into the world, so that the blind can see. Jesus came for the blind, that they may see. Laudations were to just admit their blindness and come to Jesus, or else there will be no hope of healing for them at all. Brothers and sisters, again, how about us? Remember that Jesus was addressing the Laodicean church here. He's addressing Christians, exposing them of their blindness, their spiritual wretchedness, poverty, and nakedness. Are we blind? Will we admit that we are blind and come to Jesus for healing? Jesus has spoken very harshly to the Laodicean church so far. To believers like you and me, he used very strong words, very blunt, very raw, and very in your face. I will spit you out of my mouth. You are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. How are you coping? And how are you responding? Are you offended? Or are you depressed and despondent? The next verse, verse 19, reminds us that such harsh words were said not to punish them, but to discipline them. And they were said out of love. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. In other words, Jesus is saying, because I love you, I expose your sins. I point out your errors. I tell you that you are wrong. I correct. I rebuke. I discipline. I do it because I love you. If I don't, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't even bother to tell you that I'm about to spit you out. I say sharp words to wake you up from your drunkenness, from your spiritual complacency that you have sipped into. For it is better for you to be corrected and feel the shame now than to stand shameful on the last day when the punishment, the eternal punishment, comes. So how are you responding to Jesus' challenge this morning? Will you resent or will you repent? Are you bitter or are you thankful? Proverb 3 that was read to us says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father to the son he delights in. In verse 19, Jesus called the Laodiceans to respond rightly. He says, be zealous and repent. And then he went on to give them two further reasons to motivate them further to repent. Firstly, reading from verse 19, he says, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and eat with him 
and he with me. Take a look at the slide. Maybe. This is Holman Hunt's depiction of this verse. Anyone have seen this famous painting? It's a famous painting by Holman Hunt by the name The Light of the World. And here he's trying to depict what he's saying in these verses. We see a Mao Jesus with a little night light, probably knocking gently on the door, perhaps pleading softly and patiently to be let in. Well, this could perhaps be the case. I'm not sure about you, but I'm finding it very difficult to put the Jesus that we have seen in Revelation into that painting. The only light in Jesus that I've seen in Revelation so far comes from his eyes, which were like a flame of fire. And no way is Jesus soft and quiet in Revelation. His voice was like a roar of many waters. And given the extreme severity of the Laodicean spiritual state that we have seen so far, given the lethal danger of the association with idolatry, and given their desensitized to their spiritual plight, how complacent they were in their ignorance, I strongly doubt Jesus would be mild and gentle about the situation. I think it is more like Jesus pounding on the door, yelling, Hey, pay attention here. Listen up. It is I, Jesus Christ, whom you have kicked out of your life and of the church, that is standing at the door right now and knocking. What are you doing? What is taking you so long to open up? Counting your hairs? When will you finally repent? What are you waiting for? You are my bride. My patience is running out. It is very important at this point that we remember these verses is part of a letter written by Jesus to the Laodicean church, to Christians. Jesus is not doing evangelism there. Asking people to please open up your hearts that I may come in. No. Jesus is challenging his lukewarm church, his church which had failed to be what he died for, his church which had kicked him out and was no longer an effective agent to witness to the gospel. He's speaking to his church, exhorting them to repent, to renew their commitment to him as their saviour and their king. He assures them that he's willing to come in and eat with them, renewing the relationship with them, which they already had. But of course, there might be some in the audience, in the church, who profess to know Christ but never had to know Christ, known Christ. If that's the case, this would have been a call for them to make their profession genuine. How about us? How about you? Has Jesus exposed your spiritual compromises, your lukewarmness this morning? Do you hear Jesus asking you to wake up from complacency, but yet you still want to stay complacent because it's just too comfortable and it will cost a lot to get out of that? Jesus is saying here, he is knocking at the door right now, asking you to wait no longer. 
Repent today. Renew your commitment to Him and to the gospel. Secondly, in verse 21, Jesus ends off with another motivation for them to repent. Verse 21, he says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I have I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus is saying, Laudations, persevere, do not compromise, do not love what the world loves. Instead, be faithful in bearing witness, point them to the cross and to the new creation that I have ushered in, that you are waiting for. I remain faithful and a true witness to the very end, and I was vindicated. I resurrected and now rule over this new creation. You too, in your perseverance, will one day rule with me. And that should be motivating the, the, the Christians there to continue persevering. Well, we began today with Jesus' harsh, harsh appraisal. You make me sick. These are very blunt and offensive words to our ears. But they are honest words, loving words from our Lord. His rebuke is not so much a punishment, but an illumination. It is meant to show us our sin and draw us to repentance. That's what he wants. Repentance for our own sake and repentance for the sake of the laws around us for whom our lukewarmness has no impact at all. We must repent individually and as a church. But to repent and to recommit ourselves to Jesus, to recommit ourselves to be faithful witnesses of Christ, just as he had been, he had been faithful and true, is an insurmountable task for weak people like you and me. For from, from an earthly sense, it's, there is just too much to lose if we really want to be zealous Christians. But Jesus, who has spoken these words to us, was introduced to us right at the beginning. Did you notice that? Take a look at verse, four, verse 14. Jesus was introduced to us as the beginning of God's creation. Why was he introduced as that? That is, he is the resurrected Christ, the first one to overcome the power of sin and death. In him is the power of resurrection the power to overcome death, the power to overcome sin. And that creative power of the resurrected Christ can raise you and me up from our spiritual drunkenness. It can strengthen us in our faith and help us to repent. So all we need to do is to ask Him. Ask Him to do in us by that power what we can't do in of an ourselves. And he will do that. Shall we do that now? Would you join me in prayer?
Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a loving Father. A Father who do not leave the children uncared for and undisciplined, but you discipline us, you correct us, you, you use sharp words against us for our good so that we may wake up from our spiritual complacency that we have sipped into unconsciously or consciously that we have allowed the worldly influence to affect us as those who have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Father, we, we come before you this morning admitting that in and of ourselves, Father, we don't have the strength, we don't have the power to put to death our sinful self, to put to death our love for this world. So we ask, Father, that by your Spirit that indwells in us, that you may open our eyes once again, that our spiritual blindness may be removed, that we will see the glory of the resurrected Christ sitting on his throne, and that we will see the glory of his imminent return where we will reign and will rule with him. Give us, Father, renew us, Father, in this spiritual insight that we may indeed be a light to the world, that we may be those who point those around us, uh, to beyond what this world offers, to true life that is found in Jesus, a life that is reconciled to you, our Father, a life that is forgiven by the blood of Jesus, a life that honors you as our King and our Savior. Help us individually to repent and help us corporately, Father, to be a church that is a light uh, to the lost around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.